intentions of my actions. He knows the end from the beginning. He's even proclaimed the end from before the beginning. So what does he see when he looks into my heart? And there's a reason to stay awake because I have some arguments. I have some things about self that that I really need to work on, that I really need to reflect upon. As I was reading and and getting ready for this blessed opportunity for me to, to stop and to share the word of God, I came across the text of Matthew 19, 16 through 22. And that's where we'll be today as the rich young ruler. And, and I think to myself, how close that fits. Maybe it's not finances, but maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it is finances. There's so many different things that turn into idols within a man or a woman's heart. Things that we have to battle. And to come across these things and, and, and to dwell upon them and to ask God for the help and the strength and the courage to face them, to confess them to a brother or sister so that it's out in the open and there's accountability is so hard. It's, you're, you're vulnerable. You, you're, you're laid wide open. It's like you're filleted before God and he sees everything within you. And then you go before a brother or sister. You say, look, man, I, I am struggling with this. And I, I had the opportunity this morning with a couple of brothers to come here at 6 and pray with them and, and, and to sit and to talk with them about, about some of the things that happen within our lives that, that we're battling with. That is such a, an opening of self and vulnerability but it's hard and, and, and I talked to Jeff this morning about this I remember one time in the past of standing with a brother and, and sharing with him something that I was really having to fight with and it was a continual battle daily in my life and the Holy Spirit was convicting me and I was not winning the battle and I'm talking to him about this and the guy looks at me and says I can't believe you still struggle with that Okay, I, you know, I, I didn't even know what to say. I, I'm, 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 I'm having a battle within over something that I am not winning. But I learned something from that. It's God I go before. It is God and God alone that I've sinned against. Now, I may have hurt other people in the process, but it is God and God alone that I sinned against. And I have found brothers that I can confess to, and that there's accountability with, uh, and, and, and that are mature enough to understand that whether you've been a pastor, an elder, a teacher, a preacher, uh, for how many ever years it might be, you still have things that come before God that you have to repent of. Amen. And if you're not willing to get on your knees before him, and if you're not, not blessed with people to, to kneel with you, to come before him. Well, brothers and sisters, come on up. Because I'll get on my knees with you and pray. You have somebody now. And may I never say to you, I can't believe you still struggle with that. Uh, everybody's at a different spot in their life. Everybody's walking a different path. But there's one thing we have in common. God knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. Everything that we have done. And everything that we are doing. And everything that we will do. He knows about, and he chose to die for you anyway. That's the love of God. He gave his life for you anyway. He knew before he went to that cross 
every vile thing that I would do, and he went anyway. And I can share with you, that's the love of Christ. Our text today, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're in Matthew 19, 16 through 22. The rich young ruler. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into a life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all of these things. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. God, as we have the blessed opportunity of picking up your word freely and reading it, I pray, God, we not take it for granted. And I pray, Lord, that you would help this simple man to share your word in a way that is convicting and powerful, that would break the hearts of the strong before you, for you are holy and you are righteous and you, you are deserving of all honor and all glory. God, help us to set aside self and put you first, not just this moment, Lord, but through this life. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Well, I've been reading through the book of Samuel, First and Second Samuel and Kings. And I, I, uh, I relate very well with the battles that David fought in his heart and his mind. And the conviction. The one thing I want to be said of is that I was one that was seeking after God's heart like we see of David. That when a brother or sister comes to me and says, Brian, why have you done this? Or why are you doing this? That I would repent. That I, that I wouldn't bow up and, and argue the point to justify self, but that I would step back and look and see the validity behind what they're saying in the light of God's word and where my life is at. And that I would repent. You know, when, when Nathan the prophet had to come before David and share with him the sin that he had committed against God, by killing Uriah and taking his wife, David could have had him killed. Nathan went forth with, with boldness. And he shared with him, you're the man that took the one you lamb from the poor man to feed your, your company. And David repented. He didn't get angry with the messenger. He was broken hearted before God. And God looked into his heart and he saw that which he was seeking in a man. He said, this is a man after my own heart. So now I look in myself and I'm asking you to do the same thing today. Not just today, not just this moment, but throughout your life. Do you look within yourself and say, what am I before God that he would save me? What am I doing before God after he saved me? Do I profess and, and, and proclaim the truth through my life, through my actions, through my words? Am I willing to set aside myself for the furtherment of the gospel? 
All of these things I, I, I look at. You know, David was terrified when he was running from Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. He threw a spear at him. He took large groups of men to chase him and hunt him down. And while he was relieving himself, David snuck up and cut off a part of his robe. He could have killed him and protected himself. But yet, because he was the anointed of God, he refused to step outside of God's will, knowing and trusting that God would deliver him from him, and he would indeed be king because God had already anointed him through Samuel to be king. He trusted in him. I'm asking myself, do I trust like that? I'm asking you, when God looks in your heart, do you trust him with that? Do you trust him with your bride, with your children? What does God see when he looks in your heart? What is he asking of you? What are the answers that you're seeking from from him? Are you honest with him? You know it's not always okay. But God didn't tell you it was always going to be okay. He didn't promise you any kind of, of easy street. There's, there's such a lie out there today that, that if you believe enough that you're going to be okay. You're going to have the right amount of money and you're going to have the right amount of health and wealth and all this other stuff. And there's nothing within scripture that says that. The leaders of the first church were murdered. There's still men and women today that are out there seeking to share the gospel that are losing their lives to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Where's my courage? Lord, I ask you, where's my courage? I'm afraid to knock on a door and get a door shut in my face. Somebody might be rude to me. Oh, goodness. And yet I look at a man who's now gone home to be with, be with the Lord, Evan Carpenter, who took the time to share the gospel with me while I mocked him and ridiculed him. And, and I put Playboy centerfolds up on his walls and his, in his calf feeding room. I did everything I could to try to deface this man. And he calmly went in and took him down and came back and shared the gospel with me Amen. while I mocked him. And I used every word I could to try to deface him and defame him and defame God. And he loved me. And my thought was, what kind of fool are you? One in love with God. One seeking after God's own heart. That's what he was. I was never so grateful as when I got the opportunity to go before that man years later and tell him, thank you. Thank you for sharing with me. God's word didn't return void. And he's changed my life. He's changed my family. I'm broken. I, I, I'm not a whole person without Christ. And I'm all right with that. Matter of fact, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. I want God to look into my heart and see that gratefulness. So what does God see when he looks into your heart? Out of 1 Samuel 16, 7, Samuel, while looking for God's chosen man to anoint to be anointed as king in place of Saul, was sent to Jesse. And we find the following statement in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It is in this text that God chose David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, and refused David's elder brothers, who were greater in physical stature than he. 
But he had the heart of a warrior. He'd taken down a bear and a lion to protect the sheep. Where most of us would have run. He took them down barehanded. He stood before Goliath and, and picked up some rocks. And handed back the armor to the armorers. I don't know about this stuff. I can't move in that. But I tell you what. God's going to deliver that man into my hands. And down he went. Not by the power of David, but by the power of God to give him courage to fight that battle. So what giants are you fighting right now? What things are going on in your life that you are struggling with to overcome? Have you asked God for victory? What happens if the answer is no? What if he has a different plan? Does it make him any less God? Do you still seek him with all your heart if he tells you no? How do you feel about the knowledge that God knows your heart and your thoughts? More than likely, some of you right now are asking, Really, preacher? God knows my heart and my thoughts? Well, according to scripture, yeah, he does. Luke 16, 15, Jesus said, speaking to the Pharisees, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. 1 Kings 8.39 Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. 1 Chronicles 28.9 David in speaking to his son Solomon said As for you my son Solomon know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches the heart and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Matthew 9, 4. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? These cause me to shudder. These cause me to question, what am I doing? What am I thinking? When the God that I love, who gave his life to redeem me, who I love because he loved me first, even in my sin, while still yet a sinner, who gave his life to redeem me, what am I doing? How can those thoughts be prevalent in my mind? What battles I have to overcome? Lord, this makes Paul's words sound really, really familiar. Lord, who would save such a wretch as me? Praise God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's who would save me. That's who will save you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, that is the one that gave his life to redeem you. On the cross. Cursed is anyone who's hung on a cross. But yet Jesus Christ took the curse for man, for, for shattered man, for, for sinful man. And he redeemed them with his perfect and righteous blood. And that's what's being offered to you here today. That's what you have in front of you is nothing less than the, the valiant God himself who stepped out of eternity to become a man and live poor amongst us, a perfect and righteous life, and then to give that life as a redeeming 
cost for you, a redeeming price paid for you. That's the love of God. So when I look at that kind of love, I come back to the same question. Brian, what's going on in your heart? Do you love like that? Do you love others as better than yourself? When you see that in Jesus Christ himself and you know that he has done that, do you love God? Do you love others like God loves you? Are you willing to set aside yourself because of your love for God and your love for other people? Not just financially. How about physically? How about your time? Finances is generally pretty much the easy part. Not always, but pretty much the easy part. It's time that's worth much more than money. I'll give up finances to have more time with her. I want to give it up to have more time with God. Because God is the reason that I have her. God redeemed me. God redeemed her. God redeemed our marriage. All the glory and honor goes to God in our lives. Not just she and I, but every person here who is a son or daughter of God. It all goes to Him. All glory goes to Him. The joy that you have in your life as you sit and you hold your children, which are arrows in your quiver, as you see your grandchildren, which that's the reason we don't kill our children. Because grandchildren are really cool. Children, think about this. But the, the, the truth of it is, is these are the blessings that God has given us. The glory goes to Him. But if I love my children, if I love my parents, if I love you, I'll share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. And I'll, I'll endure your mocking and your ridicule gladly and i'll even praise god for it because scripture says we are blessed to be persecuted for him but i got to be honest with you folks i've never really been persecuted not to the point where i felt threatened for my life persecuted by family that doesn't like me they didn't like me before i became a christian <laughs> start out as an addict go to a christian which do i like no okay uh, so that i mean that that part of it There are many more verses than what I have just quoted to you on the topic that we could quote. But prayerfully, the ones quoted should suffice to make the statement scripturally that God knows the heart and thoughts of every man and woman. Now with that in mind, let me ask you again, what does God see when he looks into your heart? You may well say to me, leave me alone about these matters of the heart, preacher. I am saved, isn't that enough? For those who might ask this, I have a question for you. If you are saved, are you now a slave of righteousness, leading to sanctification? Or are you still a slave to sin, leading to condemnation? Like that of the lost man. Romans 6, 15-23 If we are indeed children of God, let us act as such. Romans 6, 15-23 What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom they, who you obey, either of sin resulting in death 
or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that through that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching and to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you have presented your members as slaves of impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. The child of God, when he looks into our heart, he shouldn't see a heart trying to justify sin. You're not going to justify it before him. I have heard so many times from people, when I get to heaven, I will. No, you won't. If you read the scriptures, you can see that any time he shows up, there are dead men. They are laid out before God. When they came to arrest Christ in the garden, and he says, I am, they laid down. They were knocked over. You're in the presence of God who is holy and perfect and righteous. You're not going to barter with him for your place in the kingdom of God. You're not going to justify your sin. Because he knows your heart, ladies and gentlemen. He knows the intent. That word intent keeps coming back in my mind over and over. Because I look at the good things that I think I'm doing. The good things. And then I look at the reasons why I do those good things. If I'm really good, she'll get me a steak. I always have an ulterior motive to everything. And that seems like a silly example. But there is always an ulterior motive about self. There's an ulterior motive that benefits me. I want the heart that looks to benefit her and you. And every other person that I come across. Jeff said it this morning. I don't need this. I don't need the pat on the back. I want to proclaim the gospel, not for a pat on the back. I pray for fluency so I don't look like a fool. But I need to pray for fluency so that you hear the word of God in its completeness. I don't want an ulterior motive. I want a heart that seeks to honor God. So what does God see when he looks into your heart? What are you thinking when you, when you look at the opposite sex? What are you thinking when you obey or disobey your parents? No matter what your age is, how do you honor them? Do you honor them? What does God see when he looks inside of you? Because he does. He is and he will. For those of you who like to spend time in the Old Testament, you know well that God's chosen people, the Jewish people, fell into disobedience and idolatry. For these sins, they, the Jewish nation, were spread among foreign nations as slaves. Then by the grace of God, they were gathered again to their homes in the promised land. Disobedience left them subject to the hand of correction. God does not wink at our sin. We are his children. As a matter of fact, Scripture explicitly states that the opposite 
of winking as his children at our sin is true. Hebrews 12, 4 through 17. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been, have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peace, peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which... No one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. They, excuse me, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance." though he sought for it with tears. Are you being sanctified? In your heart, in this heart that we're talking about, that God sees into, are you being sanctified? Are you willing to sell your birthright for a meal, for a bank account, for a job, for a relationship? Are you willing to give up your spot for anything? God knows the heart. And this is the very God that you can ask for the strength to, to not be defiled. It's by His power that we don't fall. If your salvation rested upon your ability to keep it, I guarantee you heaven would be empty. We don't have the ability to earn or package ourselves in any way acceptable to God. It is by the blood shed by Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection after that death that we have a place in the kingdom and it is completely contingent upon Him and His power. No man stands righteous before God except for the God-man Jesus Christ. And He gave that life for you. Are you willing in your heart to give your life for Him? For the furtherment of His gospel? Not, not to lay down and die. That might be necessary at some point. I don't have a promise on that. But to live your life. 
It's easy to say that I will die for her or I will kill for her. But how about the point, will I live for her? And now I'm asking myself that about God. The dying part means I get to wake up in his kingdom. The living part means that, like Paul said, to die is gain, but to live, that's for Christ. To live out for the other people that are around you. The lost and the saved. To be saved and to be edified. To be strengthened. What does God see when he looks into your heart? Is that the heart that you're serving him with? Because I got news for you. I battle with it every day. Every day of my life I battle with it. For those who have attended Northridge Fellowship for a length of time, you know that we seek revival. That there is a time set aside for prayer and fasting in January of each year. And that there is a monthly prayer meeting held here for revival within our local body here and the body of Christ throughout the Western Church. My question to myself and to others is, can there be revival without repentance? Can there be revival without repentance, without people on their knees asking God to redeem them from the sins that they're committing rather than on their knees justifying to God why they continue to do it? What do you, what do we need to repent of? Is there such a love of wealth among us that was as was the case of the rich young ruler that we started out with that we are unwilling to give up? what we don't need in order to have what we can't buy? Is there such a love for finances or for relationships that we are unwilling to give them up to God because you can't buy your salvation? It doesn't matter how big your account is when you get to the end of it. You're not taking it with you. No luggage rack on a hearst. But what you do the crowns that you earn as you serve God were foreordained by God for you. Even that is for His glory. Ephesians 2.10 Even the good works that you do were foreordained by God for you that you might honor Him and glorify Him. And the crowns that you earn as you serve Him will be cast at His worthy feet. What a blessed day that will be. I pray that I have a crown on my head to cast at my Savior's feet. Do you love others as better than yourself? Do you ask like the young man in the text of the, of the day, which ones of the commandments do you need to follow? Yeah, it's all of them, but I can understand the guy's thought process. Which ones? But uh, I, I remember being a kid. I'm going to tell on Cressley because he's here to tell on. We got in trouble, a lot of trouble. Wrecked his grandma's truck. See, you boys get out there. And we had a whole summer to pay this back, mind you, too. You boys get out there and start cleaning that garage. Well, the first thought that sent Cressley and I's mind is how much of it? <laughs> right? That, that, that's just a how much? This is a big garage. How much? There's a lot of stuff out here. What do you want done with all of it? All of it. All of it. 
And you know she never did get tired of having us that summer work. I don't, I, I, I don't think that old gal's hand ever got tired of wanting to beat us either. We probably deserved a little bit more of it, huh, Chris? But, uh, but I, I, I look at it, and I think about that, which ones? To stand before God and, and ask him, which commandments? All of them. We're held accountable outside of Jesus Christ for every one of them. Whether it's a lie or disobedience to your parents, or grandparents in that case, what, what, whoever it might be, that God has given you a command, thou shalt not commit adultery. You can't even look at a woman to lust for her. I remember thinking it was kind of comical when, when Ernie turned around and looked, I won't say his wife's name, that we were in, in uh, Spring Creek, Nevada. And, and I remember as, as Pastor Tom stood up there and he preached on that adultery, adultery of the heart. And Ernie turned around and looked at his wife and says, boy, I'm in trouble. I thought, now twice. <laughs> Probably not the one to admit that to. I mean, if you're going to confess, maybe do that one from a distance. But uh, the, the, the thing of it is, is in his mind it was okay. He justified that in his mind because it well, it's just normal. That's what men do. No, according to God's word, that's not what we do. It dishonors God. And you do have a choice. You have a choice on that. Everybody says, well, you're a, you're a reformed preacher. Yes, I am. If you want your choices, think about what you do with your salvation. I've used the foolish example before. Of, you can take a pencil and stab me in the leg, but there's repercussions for it. You can choose to sin against God, but there's repercussions for it. The sword never left David's house, ladies and gentlemen. Never left his home. And that was a man after God's own heart. And I ask you again, what does God see when he looks into your heart? Are you a man or a woman after God's own heart? Do you repent when somebody tells you that it's a sin to look at at a male or a female with lust or to covet or to lie or to steal? Do you repent or do you justify? Are you in the process of justifying yourself or in sanctification to be more like your Savior? You cannot stay in sin and think that you're all right with God. It doesn't work that way. There is a sin unto death. And I've had people ask me, what one is that? That's kind of like asking God, which ones? I don't know. But I can guarantee you that if you're causing your brothers or sisters to stumble, you're probably going to get to go home a lot earlier. Not that that's terrible. Going home's not. But going out because of something that you're doing like that might be. Ladies and gentlemen, I fight with these questions often in my heart. What am I holding on to that I will not let go of for the sake of the Lord and his chosen people? What relationships, what account, what job, what is it that keeps me from loving God with all my heart, with all my strength, and with all my mind? I have asked this question before, and it's still prevalent today. If you tell me that God is first in your life, why is it that you keep tripping over yourself to get to him? How come you're always in the way if God's first in your life? 
If you're here and, and you feel God calling you to be his child, what keeps you from accepting Christ? Is it pride? I got this. I don't have sin. What, what is it that keeps you from, from crying out to God? Say, I'm a sinner. Because I got news for you. And I've got people here who can witness that I am a sinner. And I need Jesus Christ. I have thought to myself many of those nights that I lie awake and I think about the day's events and the day's clients. God, I need you desperately. Every bit as much as they do. They're still fighting active addiction. You've blessed me with, with, with healing from that in my life. But I got so much more. And I used to think, my goodness, I think things are getting worse. I'm sinning more. But, uh, no, the thing is, is the further you go in this, the more you recognize what sin is. Amen. The more you start to understand the offenses towards God and your desperate need of that cross. So I'm asking you as we close, is Christ been on the cross for you? If he's calling to you today, invite, plead, and give great thanks that he's chosen to redeem you. He didn't have to. He wanted to. Praise him for it. Give him thanks for it. And ask yourself every day, what's God see when he looks into my heart? Am I a man after his own heart or a woman after his own heart? Or am I serving self? Which one? Altar is open.